This is Van Color. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and our featured guest tonight is here to discuss a controversial change that was announced by the BC Ministry of Children and Development back in October, whereby funding for support and resources for families with neurodivergent children would be transitioned from the current individualized funding model towards a needs-based community hub program. She will explain what this all means for children on the autism spectrum across British Columbia. She's the executive director of Autism BC, a nonprofit and registered charity with province-wide programs to support people on the autism spectrum and their families. She is Julia Boyle. Julia, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. There's a lot to unpack, but let's just start right at the beginning. When we talk about the funding for support and resources for children on the autism spectrum and their families, Families. What does the current system of funding look like in BC? Yeah, so so currently, if you're a parent or a caregiver for a child on the autism spectrum and they have a diagnosis, mm -hmm. the government gives you funding, like a direct funding, and it's up to the parent, you a parent or caregiver, to set up that support system for your child. So you'll be deciding whether they need an occupational therapist whether they need a speech and language pathologist or a behavioral consultant, right. and you'll be setting up that team for your child. If you have a child under the age of six, you'll be receiving $22,000 a year. And if you have a child between the ages of six and 18, you get $6,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And after that, you don't receive any funding. So in the current system, parents have a lot of responsibility because it's up to them to decide what supports they want their child to have. Um, but there's also a, a lot of autonomy and a lot of right. a lot of choice. Yeah. And the theory, of course, being that parents know best what's yeah. for their children, right? Yeah. So now, back in October, the province of British Columbia announced that they would be transitioning away from this model that you just described in a few years towards what they're calling a needs-based community hub program. And they are saying that this will actually give more resources to children and to families in this province. So from the outside, it sounds pretty great, but you have raised and, and other advocates and families across British Columbia have raised a lot of concerns about this program. So, so what are the concerns of this needs-based community hub program? Yeah, it's been a frustrating time because the government has announced, you know, these sweeping changes to the system without mm -hmm. a lot of detail. So I'm by no means an expert on what's sure. going on right now. There's there's limited information out there. Um, but what they have said is that by 2025, they'll be cutting this individualized funding mm -hmm. uh, and they'll be transitioning families into what they call family connection centers. Okay. There'll be approximately 40 of these family connection centers. They've also referred to them as hubs. Mm -hmm. There'll be about 40 of them across the province. So, I mean, change is hard for everyone, <laughs> but change and transitions are particularly hard for uh, the autistic community, for, for kids and youth on the autism spectrum. So families are, are worried. They have a lot of concerns. They're, they're worried about whether they'll be able to access the same amount of services through the hubs, whether right. they'll have choices to 
what services they get and what service providers they'll be able to to access you know for families that you know are worried they might live up to eight hours drive away from one of the 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 centers Mm. you know how will they access services this is very much the case in the north where there are a lot of remote uh, communities and there are long distances between you know different urban centers or more remote centers. So there's a lot that's unanswered uh, and we keep pushing for more information, uh, but you know they're, they're releasing this information really, really slowly. And in, right. the, in the meantime, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fear right now. Of course, yeah. So it seems like when the government is promising greater access or more resources, they're promising these things, but it just has not been properly explained how that's the case yeah they haven't explained it i mean i think they're still designing the model like they've Mm. announced this change but they don't they haven't actually made a lot of the decisions yet um so does this model exist in other jurisdictions Yes. So we've been watching Ontario closely. They've recently made this transition from individualized funding to this, you know, institutionalized funding Mm -hmm. model. And they currently have 50,000 kids on their wait list. Wow. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. And I think in the first year, or I'm not exactly sure if it was six months to a year, they were only able to enroll 600 kids. Hmm. And I think that they've committed to uh, adding 8,000 kids within the next year. But that still leaves 42,000 kids or more, you know, waiting for services. Mm-hmm. So it points to, you know, how big of a shift this is, you know, in, in BC specifically, if you look at the autism funding program, there are 20,000 kids. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at within the period of about a year, taking 20,000 kids off the current program that they're on and setting them up in 40 hubs across the province. Hmm. Like logistically, it's a huge endeavor. Yeah. Uh, So it's natural that such a big shift is gonna evoke a lot of emotion from the community. And, um, you know, we are worried that, you know, the BC hubs will have those same wait lists. Mm -hmm. No, and that seems to be a fair concern. It sounds like you're saying two things though. One side, there is a concern about the consultation, or I should say the lack thereof with advocates, with families, and just a lack of communication of what the system looks like. And then on the other side, there's this concern that, hey, we've seen this hub system in another jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. and we're not really thrilled with it. So is that fair to say that there are two main criticisms with what the government's doing, or is it more one or the other? Yeah, the consultation or or lack thereof, as you mentioned, was definitely a a big issue because, you know, there's a very common uh, phrase used in the disability community, which is nothing about us without us. Mm. And it doesn't feel like that's been honored in this case. You know, you're looking at families that already feel very marginalized. You know, they don't feel like their voice is being heard. uh, And that really erodes the trust that families have in these government systems. And you really need to have trust because if you're placing your child, your vulnerable child into a system, you need to feel like the people making decisions and providing services are gonna do what's best for your kid. Of course, right? so yeah. The trust there is definitely an issue, particularly for indigenous communities, indigenous community members. But the system itself, um, you know, I think one of the main critiques of the their, this announcement, or I wanna say critique or fear, 
is is that um, the disability community is incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. You're talking about families coming from all walks of life, all corners of the province, and kids that are on a spectrum, right? Like the, it's very diverse in terms of the strengths and the needs that different kids have, and right. that they'll be. Um, you know, needing from this type of system. And there's a fear that the hubs will provide, you know, a, more of a generic style of service mm. uh, and that kids won't be able to get the specialization that they need um, in, in the hubs. I mean, no one is saying that the current system is not flawed. It, it, right. it is. It's, it's deeply flawed. Um, you know, if you don't have a diagnosis, you you don't get supports in a lot of cases, and there are a lot of barriers to getting a diagnosis. Hmm. There's two to three year wait lists for autism assessments. Wow. There's stigma. You know, some families don't want to get a diagnosis because of the stigma of that. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, it is it, for some families they feel like it's quite a burden. You know, they have many mothers in particular um, have to work part time or leave the workforce to in order to support their their child and mm-hmm. the services that they get. Um, while many families, you know, feel like they, they want to do that work for their child, um, it's hard for a, a lot of parents out there, sure. particularly uh, single parents. So the, the current system is definitely flawed. I think moving to a needs-based system would be great in a lot of ways, but only if they get the system right. Right. So as the executive director for Autism BC, you're saying the current system is flawed. This new proposal seems to be very problematic, not a lot of communication. What would you propose the system be in terms of funding children with um, uh, on the autism spectrum and their families? What should this system look like at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of ingredients that go into making a system like this work. It's really complex, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the main things that we're looking for right now is addressing the lack of service providers. Mm. There are already really long wait lists to be able to access a speech and language pathologist or occupational therapist. You know, if you're adding thousands and thousands of kids to the system based on their needs um, without a plan of how you're going to get enough service providers, right. that's that's <laughs> what leads to the wait lists, right? So um, the government has said that they aren't adding additional service providers to hmm. the system. They're using currently available service providers in the communities where they are. Um, and, you know, in more remote communities or in the north, you know, many communities don't have any service providers. So. Hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to work, and it's really concerning. And then secondly, uh, this type of system needs a substantial financial investment. Like, the current system is already underfunded. Right. Many families pay out of pocket because the money that they receive doesn't stretch far enough. And if families don't have that out-of-pocket money, then a lot of needs aren't met. So, you know, we're really looking for a substantial investment in this new system in order for it to work. And the the 2022 BC budget didn't have that. I was type just going to ask you about that. Yes. If you saw anything in there that yeah. maybe provided some hope or promise, but uh, no. And <laughs> yeah, it's, fair. That's what's concerning. Uh, I know that they're they're opening two pilot hubs um, in the next year, one in the northwest and one in the central Okanagan. And I know that they're looking to learn a lot from those pilot hubs. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just really hope that there are success. I hope that they learn, you know, I hope that their evaluation of those p- 
pilot hubs, you know, leads them to make strong decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we really need a lot more money in the system, and we we really need more service providers. It's um, those are the two main bottlenecks I see amongst a lot of other issues. Yeah. Julia, this was a pleasure. I appreciate your advocacy and all your work and giving voice to these communities that, as you say, need more services and more resources and need to be included in what these systems look like. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. 